0: Our scripture is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. The book of Revelation, the very last book in your Bible, chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. If you don't have a Bible, there there are Bibles at the end of most rows. Um, If you don't own one, you're welcome to, to take that home as our gift to you. So let's read God's Word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Well, I want to introduce y'all, some of y'all have met this uh, character before, but I want to introduce y'all to one of my son's favorite movie characters right now, one of his favorite movies that I've seen in bits and pieces probably a dozen times over the past two or three weeks. And this is Officer Judy Hopps from the movie Zootopia. Has anyone seen it? If you haven't, it's on Netflix. So you should, if you have a lazy Sunday afternoon, this is how you can spend your Sunday. So I've seen, uh, I've, like I said, I've seen this movie several times now in bits and pieces, and one thing that I love is like the tenacity of Officer Judy Hopps. Like it's almost so over the top. I mean, it is so over the top that it's comical. Like that's one of the best parts about the movie. And three characteristics that I think you see in Officer Judy Hopps are these three things: you see passion you see purpose, and then you see courage. Passion, purpose, and courage. And equipped with those three qualities, Judy, along with her friend, the fox, Nick, change, culturally change, the city of Zootopia for the better. And as she's equipped with those three qualities, passion, purpose, and courage, she's filled with like this immense hope for the future. Like, nobody around her believes that predators and prey can dwell together, but she has this vision, this hopeful vision for a future where predators and prey can live together in peace and harmony, right? She's filled with hope, and hope works itself out in passion, purpose, and courage. And as I'm thinking about that, like, it struck me that this is true not only of this fictional character, Officer Judy Hopps. But this is true of every person who has led movements that have led to significant cultural change throughout world history. Every person who leads such movements, they're always filled with passion. They always know their purpose. They're always courageous. And then they always have this hopeful vision for the future. And that's what I want for you. I want you to be a person that is passionate and you know your purpose in this world, and you're courageous, and you have this hopeful vision for what Memphis and what the world can be. And we're working together to see that come to being, to come to fruition in our lifetime. And as I think about that, like that's a, that's a pretty like hurrah motivational like pep talk, right? But as I think about that in my own life, I think very few things have inspired passion, purpose, and courage. Very few things give me such a grand hope for the future like this passage that we're looking at this morning. And these amazing realities and truths that we're going to talk about this morning. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. These are some of my favorite truths to reflect on and think about. So I want to just invite you guys into that this morning. So we're in the book of Revelation. Anybody know of that book of the Bible? You probably do. You've probably heard of it, and you're probably afraid of it, and uh, it's okay that you've likely also misunderstood it. Um, It's a very difficult book that we find at the very end of our Bible. It's written by the Apostle John, uh, that he wrote two different churches. Uh, And it's filled with encouragement. There's encouragement there, though you um, might find that hard to believe. It's filled with encouragement. It's filled with challenge. It's filled with all these sort of apocalyptic visions that the Lord gave John that he's writing down for the churches. And there's a really important concept that you guys need to begin to wrap your minds around before we look at this passage in Revelation 21, because this is gonna make all the difference. And understanding this concept for me has, has made all the difference. I'm not there yet, like there have been thousands and thousands of pages filled with tiny little print written about this deep and complex subject. But as I dwell on this, as I think about it, as I wrap my mind and my heart around it more and more, it leads to me experiencing more passion and purpose and courage and hope in my life. And it's this concept of now but not yet, now but not yet. I've got some pictures I'll use to explain this to you. So we have these ideas that we're all familiar with, ideas of heaven and what we think heaven is like, and ideas of earth. And we know what earth is like because it's right before our eyes every day when you walk out of this room, when you turn on the news at night, that's earth. Now, we think of heaven often, like this popular narrative that we buy into, is that heaven is this like ethereal, spiritual place, like in the clouds where people have wings and harps, and they're not really like real people, but they're just kind of like wisps of air, right? But a better way, a more biblical way to think about heaven is to think about heaven as God's space, God's space. That's the way that the ancients would have thought about this concept of heaven, that heaven is God's space. Heaven is where the divine dwells. Heaven is where justice and beauty and goodness and perfection and holiness and all of those good things dwell, because God is there. And then Earth, on the other hand, is where you and I are. Earth is our space. Earth is human space. And unfortunately, unlike God's space, as you know, Our space is is distorted, it's flawed, it's filled with corruption and wickedness and injustice and oppression. Now the story of the Bible, we see in Revelation 21 there's this idea that one day, that one day heaven and earth are going to fully meet, they're going to fully unite, that heaven is going to invade earth, and they no longer will be two separate things, but they will be one. God dwelling with man, heaven on earth, God's space and our space, together, united. But here's where we are now. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago today, heaven invaded earth. And now, through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus… And through the ministry of his church, us, the bride of Christ, followers of Jesus, heaven is invading earth and spreading into all the world. Do you see that? Heaven and earth are kissing. Heaven and earth are starting to meet. Now, we're not yet to Revelation chapter 21, when heaven, when God's space completely fills the earth. And they perfectly meet and they're perfectly united. We're not there yet. Not yet. But now, Jesus has started spreading heaven throughout earth through his people and through the ministry of his body, the church. The reason that that changes everything is because what we see in John 21 is this beautiful vision. That John sees and that he writes down for us this beautiful vision of this glorious day that is yet to come. That one day what we see here in Revelation 21 really will be true. But that day is not yet. That day is not yet, obviously. But that day, in a way we can't fully understand, has started in the work of Jesus. Heaven is already filling earth. It's like Revelation 21 is a consummation of everything that we find in the Bible. And consummation is a good word because there's, there's marriage imagery in this passage in Revelation 21. So maybe here's a helpful way for you to think about it. It's like right now, we're engaged, okay? And when I was engaged a few years ago to my wife, like we weren't yet married, but the fact that we were engaged changed a lot of things, right? Right? Like it changed the way that I thought and lived and how I spent my time, but like we weren't yet married. And it's similar for us. Like Jesus has come, heaven is filling earth, heaven is invading earth, but we're still looking forward to what John calls in Revelation, the marriage feast of the Lamb. When we'll finally meet God fully and heaven will fully encapsulate earth. So the reason that this is so important is this changes everything now. Like, Revelation 21 is not just this future thing that, like, it's fun to think about and dream about, but it actually has real implications for you right now and tomorrow on Monday morning as well. And those are some of the things that we're going to uncover and discover as we walk through this passage this morning. So, there are three things. There are a million things, but there are three elements I want to point out for you. Three things going on in these five verses in Revelation chapter 21. And the first one is place. The second one is people. And the third one is presence. Place, or, um, place, people, and presence. So first, look with me at, um, at verses 1 and 2 of this passage. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The first thing that we need to talk about is this concept of new, okay? Then I saw, John says, a new heaven and a new earth. When we use the word new, think about it, like, what do we mean when we use the word new? Like I might use the word new in a sentence like, hey, my computer was really old and really slow, so I had to get rid of it, and I got a new one, right? That's the way that we use the word new. Like, my shoes were really old, were really worn out, they were really uncomfortable, they hurt my feet, so I got some new shoes, right? Something that formerly did not exist in space and time, but now it does exist in space and time, it's new. That's the way we use the word new. But there are actually two Greek words for new. Okay. One is the word neos, neos, and that's what I just explained. Like that's the way that we use the word new. Like, um, like I got a new computer or I got a new watch or I got a new shirt. I got a new car. That's the way that we use the word new. That's neos. But there's this other Greek word for new, kainos, kainos. And kainos means not necessarily new in space and time, but listen to this: new in quality or essence. A different way to say it would be renewed, renewed. Um, the word I might use for kynos in this computer analogy is, like my computer was really old, it was going really slow, so I got it refurbished, right? It's not an exact new computer, it's just this, new, this, this existing computer that's renewed. But that analogy, that metaphor falls short. Because to us, something that's renewed or refurbished is never as good as the original thing, right? Like, would you rather have a new MacBook Air or a six-year-old MacBook Air that's been refurbished? Come on. You'd rather have a new one. But what we see here, this word kinos, like there's really no way to perfectly explain it in English because it means renewed, but better than the original could ever have been, right? New in quality, new in essence, and what we see is like it's this earth that's renewed. It's this earth that is made new. This is this is really important. It's not some ethereal, otherworldly, uh, only spiritual place. Like it's a physical place that you can touch and that you can feel. It's not like trying to grasp for air. It's this earth that's renewed. And that's important because that's what we find all throughout the pages of the Bible. But what we find all throughout the pages of our popular culture is, like, so different than what we find in Scripture. And what we find in popular narrative, popular culture, is this idea that God hates this world, and he can't wait to destroy it, and for all of his people to be whisked away into some, like, cloud-filled place, you know? Um, But that's not what we see here. We see that it's this earth. It's a very real, physical place that God renews, that God makes new and whole and right and flourishing. God renews this earth, a real place. In fact, throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that God loves place. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2 God creates the entire world. He creates this earth. He loves the earth. And then he plants a garden, the Garden of Eden. And he places his people there. And we see in Genesis chapter 2 this this beautiful story of, of God dwelling with his people in a place, in a very real, physical place, like plants that you could touch and flowers that you could smell and dirt that you could like really dig in, like a very real physical place. God plants a garden for his people. And then we see Revelation 21, that the garden becomes a city, that God gives his people a city, a real place where they can dwell with him and with one another for all of time. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see the story of God redeeming for himself a people, a nation, the nation of Israel. And we see that he leads them into a very real place, right? The promised land, Canaan. He gives them a place where he can be with them. Revelation 21 is a fulfillment of everything we see on every page of the Bible. So, if you're understanding, listen to this, if you're understanding of the gospel is just about Jesus saving souls, then you're reducing the beauty and the magnitude of what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to make you new and to redeem and to rescue and to save you, but Jesus came to make this entire world new, this entire world renewed. This means so much for us living in the 21st century in Memphis, Tennessee. But let me point you back to one Old Testament passage that will help you see one thing that this means for you today and on Monday morning tomorrow. Um, These these, uh, verses will be on the screen. You don't necessarily have to turn to them in your Bible, Um, but we're going to look back at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. So, often the way that the writers of New Testament epistles will operate is that they'll refer back to um, a section or a whole verse, but when they're doing that, they actually have the entire chapter or the entire larger section in mind. Do you know what I mean by that? Like John refers back to Isaiah 65, but he doesn't actually quote the entire chapter that Isaiah wrote, but he probably had that entire chapter in mind. Okay, so for example, look at Isaiah 65, Verse 17, just listen to this. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Does that sound familiar? John has this whole section of Isaiah's letter in mind as he's writing Revelation 21 to the church and to us. So look at what Isaiah writes a few verses later in Isaiah 65, verse 21. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. The idea of heaven in this new heavens and new earth isn't just us on clouds for all of eternity playing harps. Like, to be honest, that sounds a little bit boring to me. But the reality that we see throughout Scripture for new heavens and new earth is that we'll be in a very real place and we'll build houses and invest there and really be there. We'll be planted. We'll plant deep roots. We'll plant vineyards and be able to enjoy the fruit that we grow in our vineyards. The implication of this is is so obvious I might not even need to say it, but I'll say it anyway. Place matters to God. And so Memphis, like this place, matters to God. And so build houses. Build houses here or buy houses. Invest here. Plant deep roots here. Plant vineyards and enjoy the fruit of your vineyards. Like do stuff. Make things that are beautiful. Make things that lack beauty, like have architectural significance and beauty. Make art. Do things that you enjoy with your hands and enjoy the fruit of your labors. None of that stuff is wasted time or energy or effort because God cares about all those things. God cares about the physical. Wherever you are, be there and enjoy there because God cares about that place. So, God cares about place. The second thing we see is that God cares about people. God cares about people. Look at verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, this section right here, pause, these next few words are jam-packed with significance. Like, I wish I wish we had a seminar set up after this, and we could just, like, sit together for hours and just look at these few words, but we don't, so we're going to do it right now for just a couple minutes. Behold, listen to this, the dwelling place of God is with man. God will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. This is so rich this is so jam-packed with stuff. John, as he's penning these words, as he's listening uh, to the voice from the throne say these things, his heart is filled with all these things from the Old Testament, like things that would have been written on his heart as a Jewish boy. Like he has all these things coming to mind, and he's, Like, John, as he's hearing this, is, like, about to jump out of his shoes with excitement because he gets all the significance that we miss, right? Um, Because I don't—y'all aren't about to jump out of your shoes. You're still sitting down. You're not even standing up, like, with excitement. But let me show you. Let me show you just a couple places. This exact phrase appears all over the Old Testament. Here are just a couple examples. In Leviticus 26, I will make my dwelling among you, says God. My dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. It sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 3 when it says that the Lord God walked, walked in the garden, in the midst of the garden with his people, Adam and Eve. This beautiful reality of God dwelling with humans. And then again in Ezekiel chapter 37, My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then Jesus comes on the scene. This is so good. And John writes in John chapter one, that Jesus, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. All along the story, the narrative, the story of God, the story of humanity, the story of the world is leading up to this culminating point In Revelation 21, when God dwells with all of humanity in his place for all of the rest of history and beyond, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Like, this is the culmination of everything that we see in Revelation 21 and that we look forward to. Like, this day is coming. And the beautiful thing about Revelation 21 that the rest of the New Testament unpacks is that we'll dwell with God as real physical creatures. Just like we just said in the Apostles' Creed, like you all said it, you said that you believe it. You believe in this crazy thing called the resurrection of the body or the resurrection of the dead. The idea being that the dead will be raised to new life and will be clothed with real, physical, actual bodies in the same way, in the same pattern that our Lord Jesus, after he was crucified, busted out of the grave and was clothed with a real resurrected body. Like, we'll be given resurrection bodies, and with those real physical bodies, we'll dwell with God for all of eternity. Man, that's good. God cares about people. We'll dwell with God as his people in his place. Let me show you this. When John writes this in Revelation 21, verse 3, the word people is actually plural, the word people is actually plural. Some of your English translations, if you're reading along, may actually try to get at this by translating it peoples. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them, and they will be his peoples. This is the first time in all of the Bible, and it's at the very end of the Bible, when this word people is plural, peoples. Peoples. All throughout the Old Testament, when it's written in Hebrew, he shall dwell with them, I will dwell with you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. It's singular, but in this instance, it's plural. The beautiful idea being, no longer is it a single ethnic group that is God's people, but it's all peoples from every nation, from every place, from every uh, time, every tribe, and every tongue we'll all be clothed with resurrection bodies and dwelling with their God. The implication of this, man, like evangelism matters. Evangelism matters. Going to your neighbor next door and going to your neighbor around the world in Istanbul, Turkey, to tell them the good news of what Jesus has done and this beautiful reality that's yet to come. That matters. Because we have assurance that on this day, all peoples will fill that place. Peoples from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Evangelism matters. But look at this. Let's look back again at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 21. We just read it, and then I'm going to read the next verse as well. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Listen to this, verse 22. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. In this future reality that's yet to come, the real people who fill the place will build build houses and dwell in them, will plant vineyards and enjoy the fruit. They will not build houses and another dwell in them. They will not plant vineyards for the benefit of another. In addition to evangelism, justice matters. Doesn't this sound like the opposite of the um, brutal and stained history of our very own country? A few profiting at the expense of the many. A few... Many building many planting, and a few inhabiting, and a few enjoying. There will come a day when that is no more. There will come a day when injustice is all made right. And because of that, justice matters now. We should be a people who see, who notice, and who abhor and who hate oppression and injustice in our city and all around the world. This isn't just a reality that stained our history a couple hundred years ago. This is a reality that happens right now, right under our noses in our city, in a million different ways. And this is a reality that happens right now in a trillion different ways all around the world one day that will be no more because God cares about justice. So as his people, we must, we must care about justice as well. Evangelism, because it's, this place is filled with all peoples, and justice, because all injustices and all oppression is made right. Those things matter. And just real talk for a second. Those things are often two mandates that are pitted against one another. Some of us, when I'm talking about evangelism, and we need to be a church that goes to the nations, we need to be a church that talks about Jesus with our neighbors. Like, you're, you're like, yes, yes, that sounds amazing. Like, preach, brother, right? Evangelism. But then when I talk about justice... And the reality that injustice exists in our city, and our world, like you're just a little bit uncomfortable, right? Some of you are the opposite. Like when I'm talking about justice, you're ready to jump out of your seat and go like tear down that terrible uh, slumlord apartment building and like rebuild it and all of these sorts of things. But when I talk about evangelism, like we don't want to offend people, right? I, I don't know about talking to Jesus with people around the world, that seems fine, but like with my neighbor? Like I'm going to have to see him next week? I don't know about that. But throughout Scripture and at the end of the story, we see that these twin truths, these twin mandates are not at odds with one another because we see them working themselves out in a single verse in Revelation 21, verse 3. Evangelism and justice because people matter, and real people will fill this place. And let me just mention this. This is, this is sort of an aside, but also related. Um, this idea of renewal of people and place is so at the core of who we are at Christ City Church. In fact, if you were around at the end of last year, Um, You heard us talk a lot about, and you all participated in this thing we did, this initiative we did called the Renew Memphis Campaign, where we set out to raise $40,000 above and beyond our regular offering, above and beyond our regular budget, so that we could be about these things in the city, leverage ourselves to really focus on these things here in Memphis and all around the world. Renew Memphis, renew the world. That was the tagline. Um, And you guys, like, you all blew us away, and you gave... Above and beyond $40,000, we raised $42,000, and some of you all are still giving to that. It's pretty amazing. Um, So, pretty soon, like, we're in the process right now of actually hiring someone to spend all of uh, his efforts working on this and cultivating this in our church. Through your giving, we're able to to partner with and, and be a part of what's happening through one of our congregants, Jason McFarlane, in London. And we're able to partner with and we're able to send many of you over spring break to participate in what God is doing in Central Asia with a family that was sent from our church, the Stagals, Brittany and Tommy and baby Elliot. So like this is so core to who we are, renewal of the city, of the world, of people and of place. And I'm so excited about what's happening and what's gonna come like through our efforts working towards this as a church. The last element we see in Revelation 21 is presence, presence. We see that God's divine presence is dwelling with us for all of eternity. God with us and us with God, like the culmination, the fulfillment, and the climax of every single page from Genesis chapter 1 up to this point. Like, there will come a day, there will come a day when God is with you fully, and you are with God. When there is no more death, when there is no more pain or heartache, listen listen to what John writes in Revelation 21. There will come a day when God himself will wipe the tears from your eyes. Like that sort of presence, and closeness, and intimacy. Like I have this picture sometimes of God as Father, and like me as a little kid, a little boy, and like just wanting to climb up and like sit in my dad's lap and give him a hug and be with him. One day that will be reality we we have great hope that that day will come when God himself will be with you when God himself will wipe the tears from your eyes when God himself will be present with you like you've never you've never imagined or dreamed and then look at verse 5 he who is seated on the throne said behold I am making all things new. It's important for us to realize as a church that loves renewal that ultimately it's God who's making all things new. Um, there are a lot of people who are really passionate about renewal. Like, yes, let's go out and make our city a more beautiful place a more just place. Yes, let's go out to all the nations and try to put an end to the oppressions that exist. But if we lose sight of this, then I think much of our work, much of our labor will be in vain because it's ultimately God. It's ultimately God who's making all things new. If you're someone who's like, man, injustices exist in education in our city, and I'm going to go put an end to that, if you're someone who's like fired up by that, then you'll go, and you'll do a good job, and you'll work. But what's gonna happen is like, you're gonna get in a classroom and you're gonna see like, man, this is, this is really hard. Is this, is this really what I signed up for? Like I look at my friends who are teachers and I have such empathy for them. Man, it's, it's so difficult, it's so challenging, it's so hard. Or you're gonna start a business and hard days will hit. Or you're going to be trying to do community in a neighborhood together, and you're going to see, like, community with other people is really hard because they don't always do exactly what I want them to do. If you go out, if we go out as a church, and we try to do this, and we forget that it's not us bringing renewal, but it's God making all things new, then we'll burn out and we'll waste away, and we'll pull away, and we'll go into hiding and isolation. And many of you, you're like, yep, that's exactly what I'm doing right now, right? It's God who makes all things new. And we as his people must remain vitally, vibrantly connected to the one who's bringing renewal to all things. So, let me go back to this, this picture that I painted for you of Heaven invading earth. Like it's a future reality that one day heaven will completely fill the earth and God will completely renew all things and you'll be clothed, clothed with a resurrection body and you'll dwell with God, adoring and worshiping Him together. But that's not yet. But it started. It started in the work of Jesus, what He did for you on your behalf in His life and His death and His resurrection. And so here's what I want to close with. Before we come and take communion, we get to taste this. Because we're God's people gathered together and we get to sing together in this place, like a real place, like you can touch the chair in front of you and you can hug the person next to you. And we get to worship and adore God. And this is just a taste, like a glimmer, like a movie trailer of what's to come. And then, after we sing a song, we get to come to communion. Elsewhere in his book, the book of Revelation, John writes about this this feast that will take place with the Lamb, Jesus, and with his people. And when we come to communion, we get... We get a taste of that. Like it's a, it's a glimmer. Heaven is right here. Heaven is right here because heaven is where God is and God is here. So we get to stand. The band will come up. They're going to lead us in a song. We get to stand. We get to sing. We get to worship. We get to adore God. We get to come take communion. Heaven is here. And this is such a, like I don't want the significance of this moment to slip by you. But let me say this too. There are a lot of you who, like this, like you can tell, like this, this fires me up so much. Right? Like, me and my heart's like leaping with joy and excitement as we're talking about these things, but that's not always the case for me. And I know that's not always the case for you either. I know for some of you, like, you've never experienced that. Like, to be excited about Jesus, uh, that, that's never happened to me before. And if that's where you're at, like this morning, if you're like, man, we have to stand again and sing, and he's really excited right now, and that just doesn't sound like me, I want you to know that that's okay. That's okay. Because Jesus still came. Jesus still pursues you. And on that day, you'll be a son, you'll be a daughter, you'll be the beloved one. My son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. Those are words we all long to hear, and we hear them in Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter how much like, affection you can muster up today. Like, God's love for you is the same because of what Jesus has done. And on that day, like, all of the other cares that we have all of the lesser affections and desires will be done away with. God will wipe away every tear from our eye and will behold our God in full and will worship and will adore him. And your heart will be filled with, with joy unimaginable, joy unexplainable. So we have a chance now to taste that, to experience that. And like I said, if, if you don't feel all that affection and joy and excitement, that's okay. But I still want you to experience that. And so I'll say this. Like, don't do nothing in this moment. Like, maybe you just stand and you just, you pray silently. Like, Lord, would you, would you do something in my heart? Like, would you give me hope? Because these things feel just so distant and so otherworldly. I I need hope right now. Or would you Feel me with affirmation that I'm a son, I'm a daughter, and you're well, like you love me. So maybe you just, you pray silently. Maybe our prayer team will be up here and, and you can come pray with them. Like you can reach out and ask someone like, hey, here's where I'm at and I'd love, I'd love for you to pray for me. Would you pray for me? Maybe I hope that there are some of you who, like you just, you do want to stand up and sing. You get to adore God. Like, you get to worship God. You get to sing loudly with his people in this place, in this moment. And so, the band is going to lead us in a song. We'll come and take communion and do whatever you need to do. Pray, sit, think, come up and ask for prayer, stand, sing, raise your hands, and worship and adoration. Whatever you need to do, let me, let me pray for us. The words that we sang earlier are from a psalm. And the psalm says this, and this is my prayer right now for all of us. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Your dwelling place. Like it's here and it's now. But it's also not yet, and we look forward to the day when we dwell with you fully and completely and finally and for all of eternity. How lovely is your dwelling place. My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of my God. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Lord, would you this morning stir in our hearts and give us hearts that long, and even faint to be with you. So, Lord, would you be with us as we sing, as we come to the table, and would our hearts, would you help our hearts to adore and to worship you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.